Welcome to Season 2, Episode 27 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and joining me for another quarantine edition of the show is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar is here, as always. What up? Janelle Wheeler's with us. Hey, everybody. Hi. And our long-lost brother-in-law, Bear Brandon Davis, is back with us. <laughs> who am I, who, whose sister am I married to? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, married is a strong word. We'll just say <laughs> sisters. Leave it dot dot. Don't like don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Brandon Davis is back with us, and uh, today we got a lot to talk about. We have some fun stuff to do. We are going to be reviewing the Netflix sci-fi super-powered thriller Code Eight, and we have a special guest with us today. We're going to be interviewing Mr. Robbie Amell, a star of Code Eight. You know him from The Flash and a whole bunch of other stuff. We are going to talk to him in an interview. So uh, stick around for that. Or if you don't care about us and you just want the celebrity, you could always hop to the end of the show and get that segment. But we're going to also review Code 8 uh, amongst us with my fine people here. And we have some other fun stuff to talk about. Thanks to uh, Mr. Brandon Davis over there. We have some new insights into Avengers Endgame to discuss on the anniversary of that epic film's release. So we're going to go take a walk down memory lane real quick about that. We got some new horror-themed things coming to TV, one for the kids and one very much not for the kids. So we're going to talk about that. And if we have some time, some other stuff. Oh, Matt, I didn't put it in the show notes, but I know you like comics and stuff, so we'll let you do your thing too because, you know. What happens if we hated Code 8 and then Robbie and Mel listens to this? Uh, well, we'll just say... How could you hate it? I'm just kidding. I'm just, yeah, I mean, we're just going to say we didn't know who that person was. I thought <laughs> she was causing a lot of people mental illness, and we should all try to be understanding. Like, I, I, we have things for this. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> um, so, right up at the top of the show, today, as we're recording this, this is National Superhero Day. But uh, as we wrote on comicbook.com, National Superhero Day 2020 definitely means something a little different this year. Um, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we actually have like real, I mean, real life heroes out here every day and they're not people. I mean, yes, the healthcare workers, we, of course, frontline fighters, people holding it down. I got a lot of doctors, nurses, people I grew up with that are now, you know, out there every day and sleeping in separate homes for their families and doing all that to kind of try to battle this thing. So shout out to all of them, but also the people that, you know, we didn't expect to come heroes this year in the middle. We were all worried about big things, but, you know, this has been a starched reminder that people who work at our fast food restaurants, grocery stores, you know, any kind of essential need stores that we're at, people stocking Target shelves, just, you know, doing the small job of keeping society going right now is... is or like tr- is transport, truck drivers. Yeah, truck drivers, and- everybody all these people that we kind of overlook and don't think about and, you know, take for granted as we just come in and go bread in the grocery store every day. Like now, you know, (laughs) yo, all I got to say is the rest of the year, even when this thing dies down, like you, you brown Christmas time, especially like we should be go unspoken that you, everybody should be tipping these people. If they have a tip jar out, throw some money in there. Know, show some love, Man. Show some appreciation, and just say if you're out there, you know, you'd be surprised how good it is just to say, you know, thank, thank you, you for being out here. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for my cheeseburger. Like, thank you. Stuff because, you know, they have to take the same considerations we are, and they're out there handling, like, you know, God knows how many people a day. So 
that's National Superhero Day. We're going to keep it real for one moment, but then we're not going to keep it real for too long because this is Comic Book Nation, and you know that's not what we're paid for. So let's get back to what we're paid for. So one year ago today, it was a very different world for sure. We were all riding a Marvel high as Avengers Endgame hit theaters. We had so many questions we needed answers to. Like, I mean, the mysteries were killing us. But then we got a crazy, time, tiny, whiny, big superhero, full-on comic book movie epic. And we just are coming off another high of uh, the quarantine watch party for Avengers Endgame organized by uh, your kid truly over there, Mr. Brandon Davis. Um, we had a two-night thing. Seriously, um, the light of this time for me has been these watch parties. I've been yeah. having such an incredible time. Yeah, Brandon Davis doing something good for the world. I'm as surprised as anybody, but he, I mean, it's, it's a wow. real thing. Like, it's a real thing. <laughs> and you're really oh, making wow. lives better out there, buddy. So, I feel like instead you. of brother-in-law, you should have said, like, stepbrother or something. Uh, uh, I didn't want to get that close with it. That, that was a little... <laughs> um, but I'm just kidding. a little more weird, guys. Um, but no, but seriously, you've done a good job, BD. And so uh, we had Infinity War on Sunday with the writers... Uh, Christopher Farkas and Stephen McFeely, or yes, did I always get I always get worried of confusing their names. Like I feel like it happens every so often. But yeah, I mean, Marcus and McFeely. Yeah, just did you just keep it safe? You just go Eminem, Marcus and McFeely. Yeah, yeah, honestly, when we were swapping emails, like we just we just like when I was emailing with the Bruce, I was like we just call them Eminem, M literally M symbol N M. Yeah, like yeah, I mean that's the way to do it. It's a safe way to do it. But uh so we had them take over Twitter and kind of take us back through Infinity War, but uh we had a uh, the Russo brothers jump in and do Endgame yesterday and man, that was that was epic. Uh, was that, was that planned time. or was that kind of like a last minute addition? Um I don't know what I'm supposed to say. It was planned. <laughs> yes, it was I mean we planned it. Um that's awesome. we we had Marcus and McFeely ready to go a few weeks ago. And then uh, we started talking with the Russos and Disney and uh, we all just kind of agreed it would be really cool to let the Russos kind of announce that they were going to do Endgame. Um, and so when we had picked the dates, they were, they were super cool to coordinate with us um, on the dates. And we, you know, we were like, you know, it'd be awesome if you guys go and announce this kind of thing. So they uh, went in, they kind of watched Infinity War. Like they were, I don't know if they were watching it, but they were present throughout. Like they were kind of commenting on the Marcus and McFeely tweets from the comic book account. Uh, and then as soon as that ended, they announced that we were going to do uh, Endgame the next day. And I had kind of let it slip a couple times. Like it was in the LA Times. It was in a couple of videos. We oh, did. You just let it slip a couple like, of times. Well, I didn't LA know. <laughs> I didn't know that we were uh, going to have this plan come up. Like w when Marcus and McFeely committed, like I was like, I want to tell everybody now. And we had this uh, Nick Floyd, one of our editors, super talented, super nice guy. You all know that readers might not. The editors are the unsung heroes, but, and shout out to Richard who's, who's recording this right now. And Brian who's editing it. Nick cut this trailer that we couldn't even release until after infinity war came out. And it was so cool. And it just killed me to wait. But I was like, you know what? Having the Russo's announced this, is the right play. It's their movie. Let's do this that way. And then we ended up releasing it anyway. It didn't make much sense because it said two-night event, but we're halfway through it. <laughs> but it was really cool. And they shared, like, awesome stuff. That Like, both both parties. I mean, Marcus and McFeely had awesome, like, news and photos and, it, like, from behind the scenes that they were tweeting from comic book. And then the Russo brothers shared really cool stuff that, like, I'm surprised we're still learning so much about these movies 
because we've already talked about them so much. I always get really excited when VD is like, what? I didn't know that about a, a tweet or something. That just like gets me super pumped. Well, the two things to me, I think were the most exciting. One, obviously, Doctor Strange in the Iron Man armor. Like we saw concept art of that, but they I released like an image of it. it. That image has never been shown by anyone before. And it was just tweeted from at comic book. Like, I don't it's know. So how, amazing. How oh my gosh. But uh, <gasps> also so the I, one thing I thought was interesting, this isn't like a big mind blowing fact, but I thought it was really interesting that the footage of Star Lord dancing when they travel back to 2014 or whatever year that was from Guardians in the MCU, none of that is reused footage. That none of that is James Gunn's footage. They reshot everything themselves and just recreated the sets and the scenes and all that. And I thought that was like that's just an interesting fact that it was cool to learn. Like they dropped stuff like that all night. That was really cool. Well, there was homework. Everybody was supposed to pick something here that they thought was interesting. So that's mine, but that's fine. <laughs> was it? That that tidbit, the one about having to reshoot Chris Pat, Pratt's uh, scene and all of that, yeah, oh, I'm that was sorry. my favorite well, part. Also, oh, no, okay. but it was because you were caught off guard. I'm not used to hearing BD get caught off guard about and like not know something about the film. Like that's a really big deal as his friend. I'm like, what? No, you already know everything about everything, <laughs> and he holds it against me sometimes. Oh, when it comes to Marvel movies, everything. Let's not say everything. <laughs> We've I've been exposed on my lack of Star Wars knowledge plenty of times on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Marvel. I was just letting her open you, I was just letting her open up your ribs for the beating you're about to take. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, I I'll go. I was actually really happy that somebody cuz I've been kind of making fun of this for a long time, but I was I was kind of happy we got a thorough explanation about how Rhodey gets that upgraded armor. Yeah. Uh, compound because Scott Lang sees it and brings it and and kind of has the foresight to bring it which isn't like a big thing. It's like one of those things a small edit could have probably enhanced. I had the same kind of problem. I think I even tweeted it on our watch party about Infinity War. It's like one of the cool things in the beginning is when Doctor Strange does a spell that clears everybody out of that like block radius of New York. And I was like, that could have just used a little bit more effect to say like, here's a really cool character thing that just happened like, and just make it more clear. But um, yeah, it was just good to see that because when he just shows up on the battlefield, like a lot of people just were like, <laughs> just savagely wrecking him about like, yeah, Rhodey being like in the basement stripping out of the armor, and then showing up with like enhanced armor. Like, what the hell? I don't know that? what's funny about that, that 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 you picked that one when we were at Comic Con. You were in the room. You were on doing another interview somewhere. We had Marcus and McFeely in the in our suite at Comic Con, and Jim wanted me to ask them that. Uh, how did Rhodey get that suit? And I forgot to ask. Like we did this 15-minute interview, 20-minute interview. I forgot to ask it. We had talked about a bunch of other stuff. And when they got up to leave the room, Jim asked them. And they told us that, but it wasn't on camera or on or recorded, so we couldn't run the story. And then when they tweeted it, I was like, Jim, they could finally, like, we could tell people this bit. Um, I love that some of... I know that was I, killing Jim, too. <laughs> I know that was killing Jim Viscardi. <laughs> And Brandy, you never forget anything. There were also moments where uh, they were kind of like criticizing their own writing, like the dialogue between Thor and his mom. Yeah, um, don't be who you're supposed to be, be who you're meant to be. Yes. And they're like, how do we let that get in this script? I love that they call themselves <laughs> out. That was great. How, yeah, that what, was, is, what does that even mean? That's the same thing. <laughs> he said like he can't, like he thinks about this all the time. It keeps him up at night. That's awesome. Yeah, they were funny. They were funny. Yeah. I also loved the back like behind the scenes stuff um, with filming in the cathedral. They showed that they were trying to film in the cathedral for the Thor scenes. 
And they were, they had to sit there and wait for like a Bach choir to wrap up. Yeah. Like, oh, like I was like, this is great. Like this, it just makes it so real. Um, and it's just really cool footage. And then they posted like pictures of asking people like, please don't lean any equipment on this tomb of a saint. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. They also, I mean, well, there was one from Matt. They sh- they showed a video of Brie Larson's. Oh, first. you just yes, oh my god! I was about to just. I, I was about to lay him. I yeah, was his first day ever Captain Marvel aboard the. Are you gonna not jump in and say the Captain Marvel thing? Did you do homework? <laughs> no, because you would have been all over this Captain Marvel thing. Uh, yes, I did do my homework. Actually, I saw that. Yes. And, uh, that was awesome actually. Uh, and then I also saw their whole thing about like, uh, why she wasn't, you know, focused on and like some of the newer characters and stuff like that. It was a lot of actually, there was a couple of really good Captain Marvel things. Thank you. I just picked <laughs> something else. I do do my homework for that. That just said deuces to the <laughs> I picked something else mostly just because I thought, it was really interesting from like a first like Avengers standpoint. And I'm sure, I mean, they've talked about this movie a lot, so I didn't know if it's necessarily new, uh, but I don't remember them ever phrasing it this way. So essentially them explaining why they chose Sam Wilson to be the next cap as opposed to Bucky. I mean, forever we've, you know, fans, there's a devout following of fans that have wanted Bucky as the next cap for a long time. And I thought them just coming out and saying like, you know, it's supposed to be the the symbol and the the status of Captain America is supposed to be about uh, idealizing. I forget exactly how to put it, but essentially like this idealism and being better than you are, being what you could be. And that Bucky doesn't really fit that. He's kind of this whole thing altogether by himself. And Sam fits that more. And I thought that was really interesting. One, because it's true. Be. Being who is you're that, is that, yeah, it's it's true in the comics as well. But in the comics, he's given a lot more room to grow as a character when he finally does get the shield. Um, but I always actually thought in the books, Sam Wilson's run as Captain America is way more interesting uh, just from a conceptual level, as well as just the character and the times he finds himself in and things like that than Bucky. Bucky made the most sense just from a purely like legacy standpoint, but Sam's is really interesting. So I was actually really surprised when they made that move in the movie and happy at the same time, because I think it makes for a way more interesting series and movie if he's Cap and not Bucky. So it was cool uh, that they broke that down. The other thing was that uh, just from uh, the whole first Avengers scenes in the movie weren't there in the original draft. I thought that was really interesting since that forms Can like... Can you imagine the movie without right? that? that yeah, that's such crazy. A, Time heist stuff, yeah. Yeah, crazy. like that's such a chunk, a significant chunk of mm-hmm. that act. So to just take that all away and not have that it's kind of like well how do you get loki how do you get like all these things that uh, i obviously they probably wanted in the movie how do you get there without going back there that's that's an interesting thing so i thought that that stuck out to me well Uh, i really loved that i think the worst idea they shared was that uh they they at one point considered captain america literally being the soul stone yeah i didn't like that i was like wait (laughs) <laughs> did they you say know, that was that, one of the things like they were most happy last didn't night? Like I tweeted out? last night, it would have made sense if it was Hawkeye because he is the heart and soul of the. Oh, Avengers. stop! Ugh. Oh, <laughs> my gosh! But, uh, no, that's the end of that topic. <laughs> Way to kill the momentum, Kofi. <laughs> no, I didn't kill it. Your Hawkeye hate killed it. Your Hawkeye. Uh, hey, I don't. You got an me. I don't hate Hawkeye. I just don't think he's the heart and soul of the Avengers, Jim. How does Endgame right. start? How does Endgame start, bro? 
How does Endgame? Uh, character who wasn't in the last Avengers movie. Look, that's how. By making you feel it, where that's how unimportant he is. No way, Hawkeye. Glad you're gone. An arrow. Glad you're gone. An arrow straight to the heart. That's how Endgame starts. Bye bye. See ya. Please let Kate Bishop into the door. Guy through a whole movie in half of the Avengers movies. He's what? He's only been a relevant hero, like a good guy, in literally half of the Avengers movies. He's I'll a hard soul. He's the reason Black Widow fights okay. so hard in the first Stop Avengers. It. He's you're the reason why Quicksilver so and Scarlet Witch fight so hard in Avengers 2. Now you, like, you're making me sound so like... what happened to the Avengers something. when he wasn't there in Avengers 3? The wrong Avenger died in Endgame. He should have died. <laughs> What's the emotional core for them <laughs> in Avengers 4? Wow. Bring back I'm Hawkeye's family. I will take I Widow any day over Hawkeye. Go away. Kate Bishop can't get here soon enough. And who got the Soul Stone? Wow, Matt is a hater on Hawkeye. I know that. Okay, now he's made me. I feel like now it's all come out. Like, I wasn't even hating on him at the beginning of this conversation. And now I am. I don't Screw even like Hawkeye, Hawkeye that much. Go. I just want to expose you. Like, I don't know uh. that much. Oh my so God. I have another thing of debate. Uh, someone asked, sorry, I'm switching gears. Someone asked um, it, during the, the tweeting session, did the higher ups have you guys let Loki escape to set up the series? And they responded, no. We just thought it was a juicy way to upset the heist. And then in the comments, people were like, BS, we don't believe you. And then some people are like, oh my God, you created the series without even trying. Like, what are y'all's thoughts on that? I think it I think it was a happy little accident, but I'm obsessed with Loki. So any way to save him makes me happy. I think the majority of the MCU's continuity is a happy little accident. Yeah, pretty like, much. Ah. Having done this for a lot of years, I know it is. I don't, I don't even have to speak. Yeah, like they find things that work. And then they, they go back and they expand on it. Like, I mean, Project Pegasus, when they mentioned that in Iron Man 2 and then featured it in the Avengers, they absolutely did not plan for eight years later it to be a Captain Marvel reference. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, Like no. Project Exodus, pro- he says, bring me up everything on Project Goliath, Project Pegasus, and Project Exodus. Goliath turned out to be Ant-Man with Bill Foster and Hank Pym. Pegasus turned out to be Captain Marvel. And a lot of people think Exodus is going to turn out to be the Fantastic Four. It could be anything. It could end up being nothing. But when you link these things, it looks like it's a genius planning. But really, it's like, okay, we have this opportunity to link it. Let's do that. Fans liked this. Let's tie them together. And it works. Well, what's that tweet? I think it was, I can't remember if it was... McFeely or Marcus, but they essentially put, it was one of their tweets or maybe even the Roostos that were like, we, we plant seeds. Sometimes they grow. They were yeah, like, he's not Namor. Okay. Yeah. That actually Namor referenced the earthquake under the ocean. Yeah. We plant seeds. Sometimes they grow. And that tweet perfectly encapsulates the MCU. Like, it's like, Hey, we, we Ad think that's Loki cool. Grew. Wait, like, I think they have like a, an overarching <laughs> kind of skeleton of an idea, but yeah. how to throw out the meat on those bones you know, well, that involves, I mean, the perfect example right now is something we haven't even seen yet. Thor was totally going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Things changed, and now the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to be in Thor 4. And then yeah, like going to yeah, adapt I mean, and change it. If you know anything about the history of how this all went, like, when they learned in Phase 1, you know, through much trial and much error getting into Phase 2, that you can't be too rigid with the plan. Like, you have to adjust for what, like, because you might want to say like Thor is the most important person in the storyline, but if audiences around the world are like, you know, who's this Captain America guy? I love him. It's time to put like some emphasis behind Captain America in like, you know, the ebb and flow of it. So 
Yeah, well, has been really good be about like, that, no, and no I wish DC would get better at that with their oh, movies. God. Oh, geez, I'm not touching just with their movies, just with their movies. Like, I'm not touching it. But you know what I mean. I feel like Marvel but, I mean, is really I great at recognizing. Oh, that. you guys are starting. Yeah, you started to be off camera for this. Yeah, you get me. You get me wound up. I mean, I'm they not are. saying I dislike anything. I'm just saying I wish they could be well, a little you, bit. You know, you're not allowed to. It dis- would be. It would be crazy. <laughs> like it would be like. I mean, I agree to you to an with to like. I agree with you to an extent. Like it'd be crazy if DC started to, to kind of like embrace their characters and do more variations and put out something that could like win Oscars or something, make a bunch of money. Like you got a bunch of Squad won an Oscar. So did Joker, won multiple <laughs> Golden Globes and Oscars, and is the most profitable comic book movie of all time. So they're learning That's a few things. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yep. They're, they're learning Touché. a few things. Touche. But enough with, we're going to shut the door on DC hate and bring it back. <laughs> no, I don't hate game. DC. Joker's my game. favorite. Oh DC my fans Joker think they're Brandon. Uh, Janelle Wheeler. RIP Janelle's Janelle Wheeler. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Um, Brandon knows this from experience. Yeah, uh, bringing it back around to Marvel. So we just—I said I liked Justice League, and he still—I liked it too. Uh, that's a, yeah. We those are like the opposite problems. Wow, we're just going across the spectrum really fast. Here. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever? You guys ever actually been successful on like a seesaw? Like it's good. Here. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no. Nope. Um, I never had anyone to seesaw with me. Sad. Oh, Only oh, child. Wow, this oh is my God. So sad. <laughs> what is the next topic, Kofi? <laughs> I was just trying to say is let's close it out by saying we just did quarantine watch party for Endgame. Was there anything last night watching through that, that really kind of just struck a chord with you guys and, and uh, maybe just because just seeing it again or just seeing it again with the whole kind of crowd at a distance effect was there anything that jumped out at you as new or heartfelt or something just one year? You want me later? to go first? Sure. After reading, beginning my comic journey with Doctor Strange, my love for him has grown exponentially. <laughs> and yes. the, you know, the on your left moment with all of the beautiful portals coming through, just it 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 made me cry this time. When that happened, I my crying started in a different area, but because of I'm just I'm I'm crazy about Doctor Strange even more now. And it just made the experience of watching Endgame even better. And honestly, in Infinity War too, because he has a bigger role in Infinity War. Yeah. Matt? I will say, I think I actually... I was not a big fan of the when Thor and Rocket Raccoon go back to Asgard. Like, there's some cool... There's a cool moment in there, but like, it kind of... It didn't hit me like it hit other people. And I was always like, well, they could have gotten rid of that and it'd been fine. It would have been okay. And I think I actually appreciated that more watching it with other people who really like, there was a lot of people reacting to that sequence and that kind of bled over to me. Like I was like, okay, like I, I liked it more. Like it's still not my favorite part of Endgame, but I appreciated that whole sequence way more than I did before. So I will give the crowd that because that very much won me over. BD. Um, you know, I'll make all the Black Widow jokes I want on Twitter. However, I think Black Widow should have got a funeral. I think she should have got recognized. They really, like, I remember watching the movie for the first time, and I didn't take it seriously because I was like, well, okay, she died, but, like, everybody's coming back. And then we get the all-female Avengers sequence without Black Widow, and then a Tony Stark funeral, and it just feels kind of disrespectful. Like, I'll joke all day about Black Widow. My heart dropped. This scene landed. I'll joke about it, but... It did deserve, she did deserve a bit more recognition in a moment of, uh, 
of recognition. So that's my that's my takeaway. But also, uh, I did want to shout out that this Thursday, the keys to quarantine watch party are being handed out again. Matt took the keys. He had a Witcher party. He gave the car back in, in fine shape. He put a few miles on it, added value, not like a real car. This car <laughs> gains value. And then the keys now are going to Adam Barnhart, who got Vincent D'Onofrio and several others to do episode 304 of Daredevil on Thursday at 9 p.m. So you just go on Netflix, queue up episode 304, uh, and then you just press play at 9 p.m. Eastern time, and you tweet along with, like, I mean, like, there's, like, seven people from Daredevil doing it. Unfortunately, Charlie Cox is not on Twitter, but there might be a surprise with that in a way. So, uh, yeah, that's a cool thing coming up as well. Yep, we were going to hide that, but let's start now. Um, for me, Endgame, just to take close out this very long argument of segment, um, I think what kind of stuck out to me, and it's not just watching it last night, but I've really been watching a lot of that video of the crowd kind of going nuts, that, that one video that really went viral. That's and a good video. It's a very good video to watch right now um, because you know things are dark, and it, it is a very inspiring video. And uh, one thing I think I took away more so is – if you ever wonder like why people are like always arguing about like diversity in movies and like superheroes and stuff and why that's important, I think the thing that really struck me about Endgame it was just hearing the amount of people cheer for like Black Panther when he comes out of that portal and people of just like all kinds losing their minds for like a black character was just that was amazing to me and like just what they had accomplished with that movie in that moment um, and then the A Force moment and like why so many ladies love that moment and just all of that. Uh, those moments in the big fight like really kind of stood out to me as did right now just cap with the on the left as you say because uh, when we need to help each other and do so much these days and we're like relying on each other to kind of get through these times that moment really sticks out when you feel like yes there could be somebody on your left to help you out I think that Russo's just nailed that perfectly and that's going to go down you know as one of the most iconic kind of like big move me moments that you'll see replayed in all those freaking montages that come down the line for like cinema and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, that's great stuff. And that, and that whole end battle was the culmination of a lot as we've been rewatching these movies recently. Uh, pretty spectacular. So I want to, with your, with your comment on black Panther, I think it's really cool to point out that like in this movie, like, which this infinity saga began before a lot of this recognition of diversity in movies began. And it was only, 12 years ago this franchise started but this movie that kind of starts with three white dudes fighting the big villain and the next time we get a culmination like this it's going to be way more diverse for that like whatever the new trinity is like you're going to have black panther and captain marvel and other people and we're all going to be cheering for everybody and i think marvel's really yeah, doing be a cool, job. Man. now we need a spanish hero we just need a spanish hero to Make that nice trinity. Uh, Who do you want? <laughs> a little Asian hero. We do, like, bro. We need to mix it up. Yeah. yeah. Show Luis his respect, bro. Hey, hey, gonna, hey all right. I want a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like the three wombats? No. I want a superhero. No, and you I know, I'm just putting that out there. Nova be a great, a great thing. Sam Alexander. Yeah, man. 
Just saying. Did you just tell Robbie Amell he could be? Uh, I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm right, saying so you could be. I listen, said to our Robbie, listen to our Robbie Amell interview for a classic gassing, gas up, you know, maneuver by Matthew <laughs> I Aguilar. This. I think I think Sam Alexander is the way they're going to go because it is a really good opportunity to introduce the first Hispanic hero to the Marvel Universe. Yeah. No, I mean, you, we've we've all been on the same page about this. In case you guys are just now catching up with us, what we want to see is kind of like a mentoring Richard Ryder. Sam Alexander kind of combination story. Just mix um, it up. Let Richard Ryder be his dad. Yeah, that's what we said. I mean, that's the that's the great hook. That'd be great. Yeah, having be. But, half, uh, but give me my Richard Ryder story, you sons. Yeah, exactly. Of <laughs> I mean, we need all that. I mean, that's how it has to begin. Was that was that you who wrote that? How it has to begin? The Nova Well, they already. I mean, they already teed it. First of all, the fact that they oh, cut, they cut. You got me on my Nova horse now. They cut him from Guardians of the Galaxy after putting him in the script. Okay, fine. Then. They put him in a draft of Infinity War where straight up out of Avengers vs. X-Men comic, he comes crashing into Earth to warn everybody just like Sam Alexander did. But it's Richard Ryder saying Thanos is coming because Thanos just destroyed Xandar. It makes perfect sense. It would have been awesome. And they cut that too. So, Even though that comic sucks. That's that the only sucks. good part. That's the only good part of that comic. That comic is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> that doesn't even, no, no, no. That part wasn't even that great. I'm just a Nova fan, so I don't care. But that comic did suck. Nova didn't even like play a part after that. Yeah, did no. like, yeah he, the, the he just kind of went back to his. All right, all right. We're getting off topic. Let's move on. Let's move on. We're going to talk real quick because uh, we have some new horror stuff coming, as I said. Oh, we right. have a uh, new horror series coming for the young ones and a new horror series coming for the old ones. The young ones are a Goosebump live action TV series is in the works from Sony Pictures and Scholastic Entertainment. And uh, if you know anything, Goosebumps, of course, is the YA horror series that's become that was real popular in the 90s. They even has a few TV iterations that, uh, you know, in the 90s, it had its own TV series that became really popular into the 2000s. But uh, it kind of died off, but then it had a resurgence. And a couple years back, there were the Goosebumps movies that came out, and they did all right. But uh, this sounds like we're getting back to the kind of the classic series. And this is kind of a good, like, they were, they're were bringing back the Are You Afraid of the Dark limited series. They did, and now they're doing Goosebumps. So uh, I thought this is about, the, like, the kind of amount of scary that Matt can handle. Wow. Um, Wow, so I thought that's, he would be wow. that's hurtful. That's hurtful. I, can I just say that I I'm I'm excited for this. By the way, as a big fan of the of the '90s uh, live action show on Fox, that was like I that was really fun and enjoyable back then. I will say I was not a fan of the movies, like either one. I I didn't really think like I thought a house with a clock in its walls or whatever was a better Goosebumps movie than Goosebumps, and they both had Jack Black. Like I I didn't love that so i do hope they're not very scary they didn't have the tension that at least a little bit which even if you go back and watch some of those 90s episodes there's even like a little tension for as weird and corny as they are there's actually a little bit so i kind of hope they up the stakes a little bit because it could be cool well that's my problem today is because i was on the set for goosebumps the first movie and like i was just drilling them with questions i was like i mean basically my whole theme of that whole interview was just yo are you guys really going to hammer these little idiots with like some real horror? Are you going to scare them? Like, are you going to do something here? Like, you going to do something? And they're like, well, we're trying to find a balance. And I was just like, that sounds coward. That just sounds like, you know. Sounds it sounds like, like it came yeah. out, right? It was like very it, generic. It was I didn't think about like, that. Yeah. And like, you got to scare them. And they're just like, well, kids can't be upset these days. They need their Man, safe spaces. I'm like, you need to freak so these silly. losers out. 
when I was a little kid and I was reading those books, I was petrified, but it was like, I kept wanting, it's where I became a masochist because I hated reading them because they scared me so much, but I couldn't stop. I read every single Goosebumps book. I had the entire collection. I actually never watched the TV show. I just love the books. So I'm, I'm always looking for some kind of like feeling that I get or feeling that I got when I was reading the books. Well, I'm a product um, of the Coke fueled 80. So like I grew up reading like goosebumps. I yep. had to read choose your own adventures where your choices yeah. in reading made you die. Like it you did. died often. It was because so of your stupid choices. Yes. And like, yeah. And, you know, like we were, I will give kudos to, are you afraid of the dark? I feel like yeah. they got oh. the formula way. Like that's a lot closer to what, those yeah, that were show freaked you I out. I watched that show as a kid, yeah. and yes, it messed with me. I actually yeah. couldn't watch it at night. Yeah, yeah. and so the reboot's good. Like my ears and stuff good. now, you know. Anyway, oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so Goosebumps is coming back. Let's talk about what's going on on the adult side. So uh, HBO is making a. I mean, who knew? Who knew? HBO is making a Hellraiser TV series or TV series based on the Hellraiser mythology, and they've tapped uh, director David Gordon Green, who did the recent Halloween kind of reboot, to uh, do helm the pilot and do other episodes to kind of oversee the first season. Um, we got the guy from Battlescar, Galactica and Daredevil, Mark Verheiden, Verheiden and uh, oh, Michael Darity, who did X-Men United and Godzilla, King of the Monsters and Trick or Treat. So uh, but, but, uh, it's going to be a loose continuation of the original mythology of the films and which were inspired by Clive Barker's novella and, you know, kind of made this race called the Cenobites and their iconic representative Mr. Pinhead, and yeah. Um, so basically, like, if you don't know anything about Hellraiser, because a lot of people know the the iconography of Hellraiser, they know the dude with all the pins in his head, right? Like, yes, that's, that's what I know. They don't actually being know a blockbuster and wanting to rent, rent that movie, and my parents were like, absolutely not. But and, I just liked the cover. Right, your parents were because <laughs> even I was like permitted to see some messed up stuff as a kid. But Hellraiser is like, I mean, it's pretty intense. Basically. Is it? About these beings who come from another dimension and they access their dimension through this puzzle box that if idiot humans open, it kind of lets them out. And basically they take you to this kind of dimension that's basically hell where you are tortured and in, in like increasingly sadistic in masochistic ways. And, and you know, that's how people get killed. So that's what happens. They basically get out, you know, take wholesome entertainment. Yeah. no, And it, it's, I mean, it's what kind of sets it apart is, Clyde Barker's really crazy and he plays with like metaphysical kind of all kinds of oddities, not just traditional horror, but that metaphysical horror of like other dimensions and realities and how we, we perceive that and all that. So like a lot of it, when you go to their universe, it's just you perceiving yourself being like cut up and hung on hooks and cut up into different pieces of flesh. And that's like what the first Hellraiser is known for these really intense kind of strobe light flash sequences of people being in this other dimension and experiencing you know, having their bodies just completely like just decimated and then reassembled, Down with the other decimated again. Thing, like, you know, basically what hell would be, you know, like yeah. all that stuff and trying to fight these beings. And so, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. And so this is why you can play with this in, in a kind of like an HBO setting, I, I think, is because it is this whole idea and the metaphysical aspect of like, what is like, this other dimension? Really fit on Disney Plus. Oh, stop it. Um, but like, what is this other dimension in the visuals you can do by kind of imagining this horrific other dimension, even if it's not the 80s kind of weird strobe kind of 
German techno rock like thing they had going on there. But you could play with like this whole idea of what this other dimension is and what these kind of horrific visions or nightmares or experiences that people get put through are. So I'm kind of interested to see what they do with that because that is kind of the opening. And that's why it would make sense on HBO. It's you can get kind of really artistic with your torture, I guess. And so that should be the tagline. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that should be it's the- a tagline for this show and as me as my host it's on my hosting resume like you know get artistic get artistic with your torch. um but uh yeah so i don't think we have a, as always we don't really have a firm timeline for any of this for either of these shows because no. you know we don't know when we're out of the house so we'll stay tuned on that all righty then. So when we come back, we're going to get into our deep dive. And today we're going to talk real quick about the movie Code 8, which is on Netflix now, before we then throw to our interview with the star of the film, Robbie Amell. So stay tuned for all of that. All right. So, Code 8. So, basically, Code 8 was a short film in 2016 that starred uh, Robbie Amell, who you know from The Flash or The Tomorrow People, or from the uh, great young adult movie The Duff. Uh, Basically, it was about a world in which some people... It's kind of a My Hero Academia thing, if if you know that anime manga series. It's basically a world where some people are born with superpowers and... And this superpowers are kind of almost like a metaphor for like immigration status or something, or, or just being a second class citizen or, or a minority population um, because they have superpowers. It's a very X-Men type scenario where people kind of really hate and fear people's superpowers, but it's kind of grounded in a slightly futuristic version of our world where they've, the superpowers exist um, some more advanced robotics technology to build these things called guardians, which police the superpowered people um, exist. And basically superpowered people are treated like this dangerous minority population and, and they're kind of mistreated in society. And we meet a guy named Connor Reed, who is Robbie Amell. And he is a guy who's just trying to make ends meet to help his mom who's sick. Uh, but he is a very powerful electric because there's categories. They have this all broken down into categories of what kind of powers you have. It's all very government regulated and official. So he's a very powerful electric. Um, and he I really can, wanted a Hickman chart to accompany. This right. Movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great for like a Hickman style comic. Chart, yeah. Like it would, I mean, and, and it would code eight would be a great fit for that. Um, but and who knows, maybe one day. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he falls in with, it's this kind of classic tale of it's kind of superheroes meets like a heist film almost. He's a good guy, but he kind of falls in with this bad crowd of, of dudes who were led by this guy named Garrett, who's played by Robbie Amell's cousin, you know, Arrow star Stephen, Stephen Amell. Um, and they're planning these heists because he, Stephen Amell's character is involved with some organized crime stuff that he needs to kind of get on top of and owes people money. So they're pulling these heists, all these, this kind of crew of people. They're desperate. They each have superpowers. And they got to kind of do it and stay ahead of the cops who are used to hunting people with superpowers, you know. And so that's kind of what Code 8's all about. Um, and it's kind of a nice little world opening movie. It, it's it's on Netflix now. It, it was really popular. It's gotten popular because, obviously, it, it's a new feature film 
that kind of touches on the super power genre while we're all locked down. But uh, it's kind of cool because it it opens the door to a world as just a complete standalone movie. Um, there are different kind of questions in things that you would have in terms of like characterization. I think there could have been more on like Stephen Amell's character and like where he comes from and more complexity to him and things like that. But uh, it, it's arguably just opening the door to this world because we are getting a series. This world's continuing. It's going to go to Quibi and, and be a Quibi series. So that's going to be happening uh, pretty soon. Um, but the <laughs> concepts that it introduces of this world of superpowers, it's, it's something that's familiar, but it, it spins it enough and kind of makes it its own that it does feel, feel very unique. Uh, I mean, but it's basically X-Men and the Sentinels, but it doesn't feel that way and it doesn't feel like a knockoff. Uh, it, it feels like a very good concept of like something like Heroes was trying to do back in the early 2000s, only with like more real world kind of indie movie grit to it almost. So something like a District 9 somewhere in there. Um, and yeah, and it, and it was interesting because of just how the world functions and seeing superpowers kind of applied into society. Like one guy's a crime lord who stays on top of the pile by being able to be a psychic and read people's minds and know who's lying to him and stuff like that. And just seeing that kind of stuff applied to kind of real world characters who are street and level and kind of urban level and, and working class and stuff like that was kind of really interesting to me. So it was actually a good watch right now and I enjoyed Code 8. So, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm about to start talk to the guy who started. I, I really do. And I want to watch... This series is actually going to get me to maybe watch Quibi because I'm kind of interested to see how this continues. going to ask you that. And, I didn't know if you had already started no. watching Quibi yet. No, I have not, but now I have a reason. My my phone just heard you say series and it thought you said, hey, Siri. And it's oh, like, yeah, that's <laughs> happening. Is that, that what that was? A couple times. I was wondering what that was. Um, I, think, I think your uh, comparison to Heroes is actually perfect. That, that hadn't occurred to me, but I think that's what I always wanted from Heroes and actually what Heroes had for like the first half of season one was a very grounded approach to powers and to people like living their normal lives and how powers would interact with that. And I thought this within 20 minutes, like the first 20 minutes really does a good job of that. Um, and it's, and like including the intro and also just that, that first 20 minutes of establishing the world, how powers work, but on a very personal level and how they affect your day-to-day life in this also very, I mean, we've seen where machines take prominence in society. We've seen movies like that before. We've seen sci-fi stuff. We've seen stuff with powers and being banned and outlawed. We, these concepts are not, you know, unfamiliar, but I thought it did a really good job of just like twisting those concepts just enough in a you know left or right direction to make it feel different and when it was coupled with the very personal grounded story of you know essentially a, a mother uh and her son and then just stakes and and the effect of like what you would do for someone the links you and like at. weirdly enough we never seen like a a crime heist thriller that that takes superpowers and like not like this mm, like the way yeah. it breaks down like how each person's role in a very short amount of time too it's not like it goes through this giant oceans 12 sequence of establishing right. who these people are <laughs> you get you get introduced to some of them very quick and you don't even know what they do and then it shows you and, and it just all fits because you get to know him like there's the guy uh the uh, guy who can't talk uh yeah. is hilarious but again he doesn't say a word he maybe motions a couple times, but you see like how he's uh, worked into this heist and like his role and all these things are just done. They're not 
told to you through a bunch of exposition. They're just done. But it, again, it fits and the pace is quick. I really dug it. I, I, I dug it a lot more than I that I thought it would because once Me I saw too. the premise, yeah, like it's yeah. That. So what do you think? I was Janelle? like, oh no, uh, I don't. I just don't. It's on Netflix, and I, yeah. I honestly went in and I, I knew nothing. Kofi was like, watch this movie. I had no idea what it was going to be about. No context. Be careful whatsoever. with advice like that from Kofi. I, I take it blindly. That's how I watched Love Is Blind and The Circle and all of those <laughs> yeah. shows. So and Tiger King because I had to eat crow on almost all of those. Kofi's pretty good about that. Uh, but I, as soon as I started it, um, I actually rewound the beginning because there was like construction outside and I was so into it right away um, with all of the kind of background dialogue and explaining the rift between um, people with powers and not and how it had developed from, you know, they used to work in factories and help support society and then they were all laid off and made um, kind of useless to the community and to, you know, the, the regular people, I guess, because that they started developing machinery that could take their place. I mean, you got all of that in the first like opening scene, like the opening credits, which is really great. And, um, it was just really easy to watch. And, uh, it, like you weren't sitting there wondering what was going on. It was very clear and I knew the storyline, but I wasn't it wasn't predictable in a like non-engaging way. So I, I really appreciate it. I, I liked the movie. It was, it was a nice um, change of pace because I've been watching Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I really liked it. It was uh, relevant and cool and superheroes, but also political. And I thought it was good. I liked it all. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, Brandon hated it. <laughs> no, I, I liked. It. I watched it over the course of three nights. Like I watched it like forty minutes at a time, and I would kind of fall asleep and wake up, watch the next day. But I like. I came back and I was like, I want to watch the rest of that movie. Um, I think it, like you said, the the thing how it showed you and didn't tell you. I really appreciated that. I think it would have. It could have benefited from like stronger character writing. Um, like it just felt like I know this was a project really important to Stephen Amell uh, from the crowdfunding to to release. Like I know this was something really cool for him, and it felt like a cool way for him to flex a different muscle than Arrow. I mean, he was very different. Like he got to curse, he got to do a bunch of stuff that Oliver Queen wouldn't necessarily do, but at times he would. But we wouldn't agree with it if he did. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, it felt like that was kind of what this beca- became a vehicle for. But Robbie Amell did a great job. I would have loved to see a little bit more. Um, just. I don't know how to put a little nuance to those, that relationship with his mom. I thought that was really cool. Um, and and uh, I would have liked to see more uh, from Amel's character, just on a character standpoint, on a reason to be invested or not in him. But he, he played like that mysterious kind of jerk. Can you trust him or not? And it ended up being pretty cool. And he ended up being a, kind of a good guy in the end. Um, there were really cool action sequences though. And the stuff they did with the powers, like especially the moment where, um, the guy who can't talk gets pulled back because he's getting shot at. I yeah, thought that was, that was really cool. clever. That was probably one of the highlights of the movie for me. And that whole sequence ended up being really shocking. Um, but it was cool. And I was wondering how they were going to write themselves out of the corner of Robbie Amell ha- having to either be the bad guy to save his mom or say goodbye to his mom, but still be a good person. And they did that well enough. I thought it was good. I give a seven out of 10. I liked it. Well, you're going to get to see more about Stephen Amell's character because uh, Robbie Amell tells us some interesting things about where the Quibi Code 8 series will pick up because it's the same characters. Both Amells are in it, um, and, and, and it's, uh, it's just a direct sequel. So it's continuing this story, and there's some interesting insights we get about 
how that picks up. Which is why Cuban. What's that? I don't think so yet. I don't know. I'm not an expert on Quibi. What's that? I thought it was paid. I don't know. I have no idea. Quibi is a, it does have a, it's a paid service, but they're doing a free 90 day trial. So uh, there you go, boom. You get hooked a lot for I mean 90 days is a time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a pretty it's a fair try. So when code eight hits, I think I'm gonna do it because I do want to see how this world goes. But that's my throw be to now I gotta throw because we are gonna get out of here and go talk to Robbie Amel about Code Eight, about the Quibi series, and about a whole bunch more. So be sure to stick around and uh, listen to that segment because it's coming up next. Okay, thank you for sticking with us on Comic Book Nation. We've just been talking about the hit Netflix film, Code 8. And with us now is the star of Code 8. And you know him from The Flash. And you know him from Tomorrow People. And you know him from The Duff. It's Mr. Robbie Amell is here with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking some time out from, uh, I know, things. even though things might be on lockdown, they're still busy. So thank you for, again, coming on Comic Book Nation and uh, talking with us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So we, you're not even a stranger to these parts on comicbook.com. We've talked to you uh, before. We talked to you about Code 8 uh, at the end of last year. And we wanted to start by just kind of checking in with you because things have been happening. This movie has come out. It's caught on. It's become a hit. You now have a kind of spinoff series that's taking place and kind of developing over at Quibi. And so we wanted to start off in just kind of getting an update from you about where you are now with the kind of Code 8 spinoff, the Quibi kind of expansion of the, of the movie's concept. I know things are kind of hectic right now, obviously, given circumstances. So uh, where is that project standing right about now? Um, I mean, we're still in pre-production. Um, uh, essentially, with, with Quibi, it's uh, 12, 10-minute episodes. So essentially, it's a two-hour movie cut into 12 parts. Um, so, uh, we're, uh, we're about halfway through the scripts, uh, Jeff Chan and Chris Pare, who wrote the movie are working with a couple more writers, um, on the Quibi, um, side. It'll take place about five years after the movie ends. Um, it is a direct sequel, but you don't have to have seen the movie to enjoy the, um, the Quibi series. It definitely helps with the world building and the characters. We're just really excited about it. I mean, you know, we knew that we wanted to continue the Code 8 story. We, we knew there was more there and uh, Quibi, you know, loved the movie early on and, uh, and, and pursued it. And uh, they've been a great partner so far. And um, so we're, we're just pretty excited about it. It's going to hit, it's going to hit pretty hard. It's, it's very action heavy uh, this time around. This was one of the interesting things we really were excited to kind of have you on about because you are kind of our, one of our first big insights into what Quibi is all about and what it's like developing content for that platform because for people who are still learning Quibi is kind of a serve a streaming service that's for designed for kind of cellular or mobile viewing uh 10 minute episodes as you said so what is it like to develop content for Quibi you kind of already alluded it to it being a two-hour movie that you just view as cut into segments is mm-hmm. that how you guys just the overall kind of view of it and philosophy or do you have to do something to make each segment kind of catchy and kind of hook people to the next segment and so on and so forth. It's kind of a mix of a movie and TV because um, each one will stand as an episode. And with Quibi, how it works is, you know, on say that the new show comes out on Tuesday, they give you one episode and then it's one episode a day for 12 days. So once it's been out for 12 days, you can binge the whole thing. 
But until then, you know, you want to keep people coming back day after day. Um, so the nice thing was, you know, we always looked at Code 8 as potentially being a series. So with Quibi, we get kind of the best of both worlds. It's a movie and a series. Um, you need little hooks at the end of each episode, but it, it's also kind of feels a little bit like uh, a book into chapters. It reminds me of like watching a Quentin Tarantino movie uh, where he breaks up a lot of his, his movies into chapters. So I, I think that would be the best example. Uh, creatively, they've been awesome to work with. Um, very minor notes, and we've actually agreed with a lot of the notes that they've given us. Um, yeah, we're just really excited about it. Uh, I've been watching some of the Quibi stuff. I think that you know, I think that their platform will probably grow as um, as maybe the the world goes a little back to normal. Just because I think that uh, it is very much like a a a work break type app you know if you if you've got a lunch break you watch an episode if you're commuting to and from uh work you're going to watch it you know i think that a lot of it is a commuter's medium um so we'll see but uh we're pretty excited is it challenging to do action and to kind of handle that the spectacle and action because you're playing for a smaller format essentially or does that change you guys approach you just the no same i mean when we when we were first talking about doing the Quibi thing, it was actually right around when we got the Instagram versions of our trailer. And um, you know, one of the versions on Instagram is the is uh, widescreen, kind of smaller, and the other one was a, a full screen uh, watch or a square. And um, we actually really liked the way that it, it played out, and you know, kind of the perspective shift. It's just something different. I mean, you know, everybody's seen so much at this point, so. We just liked the way it looked and we were like, this would be cool. You know, I can handle, I can handle a feature version of this for sure. And one more thing I just wanted to ask you before I throw it to Matt. Now, because of the kind of coronavirus pandemic, has it in a weird, with all the horrible things going on, has it kind of weirdly helped Code 8 stand out? Because I've seen how the staying power, because there is a lack of kind of content, this has been having the staying power on Netflix and I feel like more and more people are kind of catching on and kind of digging into it and coming away and liking it and coming away ready for more. Have you guys found that it's been ramping up since this, since people have been on lockdown and kind of checking out streaming? I mean, I think there's a lot of eyeballs for sure. Um, and to be honest with you, I think, you know, obviously I wouldn't trade the success of Code 8 for a, a pandemic across the no, world. Let's just put um, that out there. <laughs> yes, we're, we're not... Um, I would, you know, circumstantial. I, this is all I circumstantial. Would trade that in but um, I think that a nice thing about it is it's sci-fi and it gives people a little bit of an escape. So what's been really nice is seeing the response on, you know, on social media, people being like, you know, this, this was a really nice break for me for, you know, to, to kind of stop thinking about what's happening in the rest of the world for a minute. And obviously there's so much more important stuff going on than our movie, but um, it is nice to be able to provide people with a little bit of an escape for, you know, 90 minutes and um, just to kind of let things go and watch a movie. Well, you know, speaking of the feature film uh, version, you know, and you guys have been thinking about a series for a minute. So I imagine like some ideas kind of got bounced around or changed and things like that throughout the development. Was the feature film ever the endings? Were they ever a little bit different? Because we see each character kind of get their not so happy ending in some cases, but you know, their kind of hook for that like next step in their journey. Were they, specifically the Nia and Mary part, was there ever a version that, you know, Nia ended up dying and, 
you know, Mary was still around or that some of the other characters kind of had their uh, next steps played around with in a big way? We toyed with actually going through with it and it just felt too dark. I, like it, it kind of, it robbed uh, Connor of any humanity. It isn't what Mary would want. Like, you know, she, she, the last thing she would want would be to survive because of someone else. So, you know, this was the version or, you know, it, that was never shot. It was only ever talked about. There were a couple alternate versions of, of the way that Connor and Nia leave things. But ultimately, we just wanted it to feel kind of real. And we didn't want to close it because we knew that we wanted to keep the story going. And the relationship between Connor and Nia is super difficult to wrap up in a short amount of time. So I think the idea would be, you know, we will continue to show what happened with their relationship moving forward, but we didn't have time to continue that after the climax of the movie. I will say you kind of got the best of both worlds because there was a part you held out just long enough for me to go, oh, wait, are they really going to do it? Because <laughs> there's, there's that moment, and then there's that moment of very, like, uncomfortable feeling, and that's where it hit. I was like, no way. And then it was like, Dude. oh, okay. Yeah, uh, my hand was on the, Yeah, my hand was on the exit button. I was like, if this, <laughs> like I, I don't know. I was like, I can't. I don't know what's left in this. I movie. think we lose everybody if we if if he goes through with it. We lose a lot of people um, at the end of that movie, and we probably can't make a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, follow the worst person. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. But you know, and also you kind of spoke a bit about the world building uh, that you kind of get to explore. Then we see, you know, pieces of like what law enforcement looks like, and we see kind of the societal stuff, like the opinions about people with powers and things like that. It's touched on in the movie, but you know, we don't get to kind of explore that because, of course, we're kind of focused on a couple main characters. How are you exploring those different pieces in the new series? Um, I mean, we're just going to continue to build out the world, but at its core, our movies are always going to be about the people living in this world. And we want the world building and the sci-fi to blend into the background, because if you don't care about the people and the stories and the relationships um, and invest in that, then the world building won't matter. So um, at its core, it's always going to rely on, on, on the people, but you know, we will continue to dive into it and you'll see a little bit more of the underground and a little bit more of, of um, you know, how, how this world works. But, um, uh, you know, uh, the sequels will still continue to follow my, char- follow my character and Steven's character pretty closely. Speaking of you guys, how was it kind of, because you guys are cousins, I mean, you're family, how was it kind of playing out the dynamic between Garrett and yourself in the movie when you go because he is kind of a hard ass towards you did ever drum up any kind of old family rivalries when you guys were just playing that out no i mean we're super competitive as is but that's never changed um but the cool thing was we had never really worked together like we had a small bit on the flash uh as as firestorm and arrow but we never even talked so the cool thing was we didn't shoot in chronological order but mine and steven scenes the First few days we had together actually were early scenes on together, or early scenes for for Connor and Garrett. So we got to feel each other out as actors on screen, which actually worked for the progression of our characters. Because you know that's a weirder thing for us than you know the bond that that Garrett and Connor develop throughout the the movie, and where they become almost you know friends like a mentor mentee relationship. That's easier for us to play because you know we're family. So it was actually kind of nice that we just had that little bit of 
unfamiliarity um, at the beginning. And this was code eight. What's really interesting is last time you kind of talked with us, we were just talking about the whole journey that it took for this film. It started out as a short, you co-finance this thing. It, you know, it got a lot of popularity on social media boards. So this was like a big return for you, albeit with some kind of switches and changes to the original premise. Characters obviously were switched. Roles were switched around um, for some actors. So kind of following that thread, we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of ask you, we are comicbook.com, if you can make this kind of return, like what other big returns? I know you have a lot of fans over in the DC universe because you were one half of Firestorm. And I know we were missing you during things like uh, Crisis, but where would you like, if you kind of had more the options, where would you like to come back? Because DC, the TV universe, everything about it's kind of changing right now with uh, everything coming with HBO Max and DC Universe and those series, plus the Arrowverse, you know, Steven's kind of retired and, and left that mantle open. Where would you like to get back in if you could? Would you go back into the Arrowverse? Would you do something like the DC movie side? Where would you like to kind of fit in? Do you have any favorite characters? Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I have no, I, I don't, I don't dis- discriminate against what superhero uh, I would like to play part of which because like Guardians of the Galaxy came out and I was not familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy and I loved the movie and I thought Chris Pratt was fantastic. Um, you know, I didn't know the story of Thor Ragnarok at all and it's my favorite Marvel movie. Um, DC I'm a little more familiar with, but you know, I'm sure there are a ton of characters that they're going to end up making that I'm not familiar with. So, um, you know, ultimately I think just working with great people would be ideal. I would always go back to the flash. Um, with that, it's a little more difficult because it's not fair to not be there and then come in and try and be, you know, a main character. So it's fun to be able to come in and cameo, but they have so many characters that, um, are due their, their time that you never want to be the guy that's coming in and, and stealing anything away. With that being said, I love all those people. Uh, it would be great to work with Danielle some more and Grant, um, and that whole cast. So, you know, it would be fun to go back. Uh, I'll never say never when they, you know, when they call, if I'm available, I'll go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be green. They're doing a green lantern show on HBO max, which sounds really cool. You know, uh, they're, they're, it feels like they're going to reboot the DC film universe because I don't know, rumor has it Henry Cavill's done and who knows what's going to happen with flash. Like, you know, it's one of those things where, so many things are up in the air, especially with this pandemic. You don't know when things are going to go back to filming. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just keeping my ears and eyes open for, for something. Well, cool. we got to throw some fuel on this fire because you did say you had a fondness for several Marvel movies. So if you had to hop the fence and go to the other side, are there any favorite Marvel characters you haven't seen on screen yet that you would, you would throw your hat in the ring for? I mean, it's like I said, you know, I'm sure there's some, there's some that I'm not familiar with that I think would be awesome just like you know whatever the next guardians of the galaxy is that would be really cool uh i really like the idea of marvel you know doing their version of the x-men um so some someone in the x-men would be awesome uh they're going to reboot fantastic four something you know there's so many possibilities that any of them would be cool We'll say uh, Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, just throwing that out there. I think uh, <laughs> I think Robbie would make a really great Whoa, uh, Raider. Don't try to push your Kyle Rayner objective hey. on Robbie. We gotta let him choose. What like what do you, what, what would you be? Would you like? Would you be a Hal Jordan? Would you be a Kyle Rayner, Guy Gardner? What do, what do you see yourself as? 
<laughs> whichever one they're making. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> question. Great answer. That is the expert answer right there. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. Um, final questions, Matt. Did you have anything? Uh, no, other than saying that, uh, uh, as for Marvel, I also, I, you know, I plant seeds. Like, I just, that's just what I do. I just throw the ideas that's out called, there. That's a nice way of in- saying instantly. Like, yeah. <laughs> just throw ideas out there. I think, I think Robbie would make a great Nova as well. I'm just throwing, cool. throwing that one out there. So, uh, and cool. if they make one, you know, he can give, like, has that answer. We'll just, we'll take that same answer. We'll put Marvel <laughs> in space of the DC. Done. <laughs> Done. Two Perfect. quotes. One last question uh, I had. Either um, one sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> one last question I had, uh, which has been kind of interesting. Um, I'm a big Star Trek fan and things like that. Is now that because Code Eight is still a very much a science fiction heavy thing, has this pandemic kind of now made you guys do any narrative switches yet, or kind of consider things that you now have to kind of implement into a sci-fi world? Because I know this is going to be a fascinating, I mean, this is going to be a question for all sci-fi for going forward. I'm just kind of wondering, since you guys are going to become some of the first out of the gate, how are you looking at that? Um, I mean, I think, you know, Code 8 takes place in Lincoln City. It's kind of a, you know, it's an alternate universe. It's, it's we, we wanted to ground it in reality, but it's not, you know, it's not necessarily our reality. So I, I don't think we're going to try and lean too much into that. I think another thing is, you know, we don't want to, if people are going to use it as an escape, we don't want to, you know, bring them right back, kind of keep reminding people about it. But the other side of it is, uh, you know, we don't know how prevalent this is going to be in our society moving forward. Like how much of, of our reality right now is going to be our reality in six months, in nine months, in a year, in two years. So I think part of it is a little bit wait and see. The interesting thing is the, the Amazon show I have coming out on May 1st, um, Upload, we shot it we shot the pilot two years ago we shot the series first season last year and there are parts in the pilot that look like today because you know you've got people on the subway wearing masks and it looks like it's you know today because of the virus when it was really a take on um, pollution and you know where the world would be 15 years from now with global warming and not taking care of uh, our planet so a a little bit of it is just kind of luck of the draw on that side of things um, but I, th- I think it's difficult, you know, if you, if you're going to do something that's grounded in, in the real world, it's definitely gonna be something you have to address and think about. All right. Well, that's it for me. Uh, Matt, do you, do you have anything else? No, uh, I, I stand by my picks and, uh, I really enjoyed code eight, by the way. Also, I will say, uh, code eight has one of the coolest intros. I'm going to give props to like the, <laughs> the team who assembled the intro. I thought as, as far as world building, I actually thought that was like one of the like most condensed and perfect ways to like get across what the world is like, uh, what it is to like live in this place and see like how powers were treated over time in a very short amount of time. So props. I just I'm give really props. glad. I'm really glad you said that when our first test screening, we didn't have that. And oh. there were so many questions at the end of the movie that, you know, Jeff, who directed the movie, fought it for a long time. And after that test screening, he was like, we got to do this. And, uh, you know, the, the, it was actually the team that did all of the drone POV, POV of like uh, um, the HUD systems and stuff. They were like, give us a shot at the opening title sequence. We think we can do something cool. And they uh, crushed it. They yeah. absolutely nailed it. I think That's it confidence. really set, like you said, it, it, it sets the tone and, and builds the world. And, and that way, once you meet, you know, Connor and Mary at the beginning, 
you feel like you're in, which, yeah. which is so important in, in, in our world. Absolutely. So yes. Oh well, my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine it without the intro. Cool. So that I'll, I'll tell them. Thank you. Man. That's really <laughs> cool. All right. This has been our chat with Robbie Amell, star of Code 8, the upcoming series Upload, and hopefully many other things in Green Lantern-related things. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, here Robbie. first. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again for stopping by Comic Book Nation, Robbie, and we uh, hope to talk to you again in the future. All right, so you got there. That was me and Matt talking to Robbie Amell. We want to thank him for coming on Comic Book Nation. If you guys haven't, go on Netflix, check out Code 8. If it sounds interesting to you, keep your eye out for the series. Coming to Quibi. Maybe when we get back out in the world, as, uh, as we were talking about, it'll be more fitting. But it's interesting to hear that maybe they're going to cut these all together into like one big cut when, when like a whole season airs. So keep your eyes out for that too, because Code 8 will continue if you are enjoying it. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. I want to thank everybody who came on, Mr. Brandon Davis, from uh, taking time out from his uh, world-famous parties to join us, the little people again. Uh, Janelle Wheeler, Matt Aguilar, because they're paid to be here. And Mr. Robbie Amell for coming on and uh, talking with too. us. I'm not doing today. this out of the goodness of my heart. We're just giving your thing a platform. Don't, don't, get, too, don't get too crazy. Like, <laughs> we're giving your thing a platform. Oh, don't, get, don't get crazy. All right, so that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. If you're just now getting into the show during this quarantine season, you can find new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to our RSS feed to get regular updates about the show or we're on your favorite podcast listening platforms. That that includes iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can find videos of the show on the comicbook.com YouTube page where BD is also throwing up some new stuff up there on that old YouTubes. Hey, so, hey. Uh, check that out too. Uh, we got second printing. We got a uh, talk shop on Instagram. He's doing, we got a lot going Dude, on. I played Quarantine. the predator game on Tuesday and that game sucks. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. That, uh, yeah. Oh, we should play. You're talking about our content. I'm letting him yeah, know. Okay. Animal Crossing. Go. Animal Crossing. There you go. So <laughs> that's all the things we got going on on comicbook.com. Like we said, Daredevil quarantine watch party season three, episode four with Vincent D'Onofrio and other cast members coming up. By the time you hear this, you'll be just in enough time to get set to watch with us. So be sure to tune into that this Thursday. Um, yeah, we got a lot going on over here at Comic Book. But uh, be sure to catch us on Comic Book Nation. And if you're just getting in the show and you like it, go on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review because as soon as we are back in this office, we are going to send you guys some T-shirts for your five-star reviews. So get ready for all of that. 2029. 2020 stop it <laughs> that'll Don't do it for that this episode here. i want to thank everybody again if you want to talk to any of us you can talk to us at the hashtag comic book nation you can find me at kofi outlaw you can find me at janelle wheeler on twitch and all the socials you can hit me up at matt aguilar cb and you can find me at brandon davis bd there you go thank you for tuning in see you guys next time this is comic book nation we out Davises.